0: Hey guys, welcome to Catholic in America. Today, we are talking about purgatory. What we'll be talking about today is what is purgatory, people's objections to purgatory, as well as our Catholic response. So get ready to be burnt because we're going to set your soul on fire.
1: Hey guys, welcome
2: back to Catholic in America. We're, We're talking about purgatory today. I'm Father Michael Nixon, joined as always by Father Tom Dillon, Father Doug Martin. Guys, let's get into it. What do people think about purgatory?
0: Fake. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Uh, So some people think that purgatory is an invention of the Catholic church that was invented by medieval scholastics and thinkers that uh, were reading things into the scriptures and reading things in the Bible that are just not there.
2: So basically this kind of extra thing. I've heard of this. I've heard. I've literally heard this described. This is how the medieval church made money. Yeah. Um, It's Mm -hmm. kind of a money making scheme and, uh, you know, pyramid pyramid scheme, basically, Mm -hmm. was somehow.
0: The church being on top and all the buy people. your way. You can buy your way out of out of pain and suffering oh, if you just have enough money and you contribute enough mo- uh, yeah. money to the church. Yeah. And then okay.
1: you know the other thing we hear is is it's, it's really not necessary. I mean, if if God really has saved you, what's the net? You know, why would you have to go to purgatory in the first place?
2: I, yeah, I think a lot of Christians, maybe even people that grew up Catholic, don't know the Catholic Church's teachings on on purgatory. Um, it's almost kind of a strange thing that there's something after death. You know, yes. w- w- why would, if you're saved, one, you know, we talk about once saved, always saved is kind of a, right. a popular phrase now. So, yeah, th- there's not really any need for this. Um, and then I think, too, gets into going back to the historical aspect as well. Just sort of the, um, you know, maybe abuses in the church of selling indulgences and people, you know, saying like you buy this many indulgences, which are like kind of graces held by the church. And I can get my family members out of purgatory. So I have to have a certain number of masses said. And it can kind of become this sort of mechanical thing, too. And it seems very far removed from, uh, from yeah, just the experience of faith or grace uh, that, that we have in Jesus. Yeah. I mean, and, and today even, you know, not just in the medieval church. I mean, um, do you encounter people that, that struggle with this or that still have questions or, or that, that wonder why we still believe in this? Or maybe that we think that Catholics don't believe it anymore.
0: I encounter a lot of people who have objections to purgatory. Specifically, usually Protestants are coming to the Catholic Church and are investigating Catholicism and wanting to know, like, what is this? Like, where does this come from? Where's your biblical basis for it? Um, is this something which is an invention? So, yeah, I mean, it still is a, a pretty common question which arises, especially in Protestant and Catholic dialogue.
1: Yeah, it was one of my questions when I first started to, to encounter the church. I remember thinking, you know, I'm going to disapprove the, the Catholic church. And so the first thing I did was I said, oh, I'm going to take something that seems to be uniquely Catholic. And I'm going to show there's not in scripture. It's not in the first five centuries of the church. And so this was the one I picked. This was the one I thought, man, there's nothing more Catholic than purgatory. So that's that's going to be it. And so, you know, initially I had a real problem with that. Absolutely. And I think, too, maybe even just on an emotional level, some sometimes
2: people struggle with this because if, if you say, well, I'm going to pray of a family member that died, and you know the catholic responsibility well, we're going to pray for them for the, you know that they might be with the lord like well you're saying they're not in heaven yet you know kind yeah. of this sort of like that this is something mean and 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 i don't i don't mean this in a pejorative sense but but almost almost a hesitancy to think that that purgatory is some sort of punishment or you know that the person wasn't good enough um you know that it's it's like a judgment on them to say that we're going to pray for them so some people out of an emotional love and attachment to those that have died would hesitate or kind of bristle at at even the mention of purgatory um, as as an idea or even we'll talk a little bit more about purgatory as an idea, but also just the process and what we actually mean by purgatory as Catholics, because it might be different than what you think. Right. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think that that emotional uh, tie to people as well might might be one of the reasons why people would hesitate or even outright reject purgatory as a
1: concept. And, and tied into that, too, is is that, you know, the idea that purgatory is some midway point, like like it's not in heaven, it's not in hell, it's almost limbo. And so, you know, if you're, you know, to be, you know, scripture teaches, uh, you know, to be. Uh, absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. I mean, that's one thing we you know we hear. And so this this concept, this idea that purgatory exists and is there, just really doesn't you know logically it doesn't make a lot of sense in, in that kind of a understanding.
0: And also it also flies in the face of some who are like, well, everyone is immediately in heaven. Yeah. So like the universal salvation, everyone's in heaven. Uh, there's no process like except one, for Hitler except Hitler, except well, Hitler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So everyone's in heaven Jesus. versus so like it does get into when you start getting into like the topic you're getting into eschatology Which is the end things what happens after death and because a lot of these things are spe- Speculation they're based upon various passages, which seem to be kind of esoteric And so like the question is like well, what is this and like what's the basis? so because you also get people who have very hard beliefs upon everyone's in heaven Or when you die, you're judged immediately, and you are separated the sheep and the goats. Uh, So there's also a lot of confusion, especially in the interpretation of the the passages. Um, Yeah, and I think maybe part of the struggle too. Why? Why is there difficulty over this? Is
2: because there's uh, you know, the church has has been around for two thousand years. And we've a lot. A lot of denominations have maybe divorced the Bible from the church, and so basically everyone takes the Bible on their own and just interprets it to themselves. And so, the the thing that usually comes up, and we'll get into this as well, is where's is purgatory in the Bible? Right. Like that, that. that's that's the main question. I think the why for people, as far as why they struggle with this, if they are a believing Christian, where does it say that you know after after you die? If you still have temporal punishments that remain on your soul, which is, you know, the Catholic to understand of purgatory, then those will be purified as you enter into the Lord's glory in heaven. Um, You know, those who die in the grace of God is basically what the catechism says. Um, So anyway, so just that like, where does it say that line for line? And the fact that most biblical teachings aren't just like a a, a linear, uh, you know, path laid out like that, particularly when it's divorced from the whole context of the church's tradition, that that, that can be difficult because yeah, if, if you're just the Bible just drops out of the sky and you're supposed to piece something together. I'm not quite sure if you would arrive at purgatory, um, you know, at least on day one. <laughs>
1: sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and the idea of it, it's just mean. It's just mean that this would happen. You know, that, that, there, would be, <laughs> that there would be a place where you would go and, and specifically a misunderstanding of where you'd be punished mm. or where it would be painful after you die because we're kind of told that if it's painful after you die. That's hell. That's not... Heaven—that's not salvation—and so the 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 idea that you would go through something that would be somewhat painful before you get to heaven can can lead people to say, "No, that you know this isn't necessary. It's mean. No, uh, it it couldn't logically be the truth. You obviously are going to hell, not to heaven."
2: And that's uh, the the pain aspect. I think Mm -hmm. you know we've all had family members that have died. We've walked with a lot of people in, in that process of illness and death, and and I think one of the constellations that a lot of times are shared is is well, they're, they're not suffering anymore. Right. There's no more pain anymore. And, okay. and to say that once you die, there's never any pain, which and it's, I can understand for like eventually, sure. you know, in the book of sure. Revelation, every tear will be wiped away. You know, there's, yeah. there's a point where that happens, but that's not exactly, um, you know, the, the, the anguish that people feel, the struggles, the, the, the difficulties, that, that doesn't necessarily end in death. You know, so, so, but I think the desire to sort of kind of we want death to just be this, like the doors closed completely, and you're on the other side, and yeah. and you're sort of cut off from all from all earthly cares and struggles, which is not really the. We can get more into the biblical uh, understanding of this, but I think that's that's kind of a popular thing that we we maintain nowadays. And it is interesting; it does yeah. tie into that. I don't want my loved one to be in, in pain, right? And I kind of see Suffer. that as yeah. that, that's how I that's how we console mm-hmm. ourselves, which is different than how in the biblical understanding of it, how they would be consoled. Because, you know, Paul talks about console one another with these words about the hope for resurrection. Right. Um, so we, we can get into that, too. So, so I want to dive a little bit more into this process of purification, what we understand by it. Maybe even how there's some, even in Protestant denominations and Christian understandings, too, of of maybe a better understanding of purgatory that can be part of our faith and helps to enrich our our, our faith here and now. We're gonna take a quick break, and so uh, we'll be right back. Hey guys, thanks for checking out Catholic in America. I'm Father Michael Nixon, and I like to party.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I am Father Tom Dillon, priest here in the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee. I think I have the longest hair in probably the state. And
1: uh, I too like to party. I like whiskey and cigars. Father Doug Martin, I'm also a priest here in the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, and I'm married and roll tied. Oh my goodness. Oh, yes, yeah. sir. Um, <laughs> I was okay with the being married part the real
2: thing. <laughs> in Catholic America, we engage the intersection between faith and culture. Tune in every week because no topic is out of bounds. We want to thank you so much for supporting this show by watching it, by liking, sharing, and subscribing. How else can they support the show? You can also
1: become a patron on Patreon and support us financially. So if you support us, there's all kinds of swag. There's t-shirts, there's coffee mugs, maybe bumper stickers. I don't know, maybe we could come up with a wig from Father Tom. (laughs) Father Tom wig would go go a
2: long way. (laughs) So thanks for your support. God bless y'all and check us out next time on Catholic in America.
0: Welcome back to Catholic in America.
2: Please like, share, and subscribe. And thank you so much to all of our patrons on Patreon. You can join us on patreon.com forward slash St. Dominic Media. So guys, getting more into the why, why people um, have these understandings of purgatory or have rejected that understanding of purgatory, because I think that's going to help us. We begin to to lay out the Catholic understanding and Catholic uh, teaching and how important it is for us.
0: I mean, some of the main reasons for why people have objections to purgatory does come to some real important theological points. The biggest one, probably most apparent to me, is the notion of how does salvation occur? How does salvation, grace work upon human nature? Is salvation a one-time moment where I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, which is the classic Lutheran position, is that human nature is, uh, for la- uh, he calls it a dunghill, he actually uses a different word, Right. Uh, but he says that human nature is, is is crap, and that grace comes over and comes over human nature and, and therefore covers it. And that's why he used the image of a snow-covered dung hill. Yeah.
1: yeah, Calvin used to use the, the robe of Christ's righteousness to cover your Correct. sins. Correct, same thing, just yeah. a little nicer imagery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so <laughs> nicer so, there, yeah. <laughs> so, no,
0: so there is the theological point of like the snow-covered dung hill. How does grace affect nature, and is it a one-time moment where I'm saved? Or is, from the Catholic perspective, as well as some Protestant denominations, we'll talk about, well yes, I am saved, but there's also the possibility I can lose salvation. So how, does, how do we as human beings participate and cooperate with grace? Is cooperation a one-time moment where I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, or is it something which is now a process that I have to allow for uh, continual grace to work upon my nature? And so that's where like, some Protestant thinkers will separate the difference between redemption or justification Versus then sanctification. Versus which is becoming holy. Which is becoming holy, yeah. becoming like God, as First Peter uh, one fifteen says: "Be holy, as I am holy." Mm-hmm. So and then, now there are some some Protestants who will say, "No, you once you're saved, always saved. I can't do anything, and therefore sanctification is unnecessary." But there is like when you're starting to get into these arguments, it does like it's into the itty bitty of theology. Yeah,
2: because to me, it, it kind of gets into this understanding of. Do we think that we actually become holy? Like, am I, like, or, or am, am I covered with holiness? You know, like, right. like and, and that to me is a very different understanding of what it means to be human as well. That some people say that, well, humans are just evil. You know, there, there's a, a fundamental brokenness here and God just kind of covers it, covers you over and, and, and brings you and covers you with that. Kind of, kind the, of the, the robe the, of Christ. Kind
1: yeah, of Calvinistic understanding of, you know, the, the total depravity. That so I don't need to... to be
2: purified by any sort of, process yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah. I've already got the robe on. Right, so, right. I've yeah. got the
1: robe on. I, I've yeah. got his righteousness has been imputed to my account. If we're going to use Calvinistic terms mm-hmm. that that I have an alien righteousness, a righteousness that's not my own, but it's given to me, and that you know God looks at me through that lens as opposed to what I really am and who I really am. Now, of course, Calvinism would believe that that you do you know make strides in holiness and in sanctification, and that ultimately you'll reach sanctification, but it's necessary, but not necessary. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's a little muddled at times. And and that's what I find is, is that, uh, you know, most of the time when people have a problem with this, it's because they don't necessarily have a good understanding of heaven. And we're going to talk about that in another episode, but but they don't have a good understanding of what happens in the afterlife. They're, they're worried about now. And then, like you said, in, in almost a very simplistic way, it's either heaven or hell. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no understanding of of what it, you know, what it necessarily takes to get there besides faith itself or the lack thereof.
2: And this kind of gets also into um, some different kind of Protestant thinkers. And maybe some of our listeners or viewers are come from a Protestant background or Christian, non-denominational. Um, so C.S. Lewis is is, is one. And, and you had an interesting quote. You had an interesting insight from John, uh, you know, Professor, or I guess Dr. John Piper, who's a, a very... Uh, uh, Important, I would say, American uh, pastor and preacher, Um, kind of how his unwittingly he's kind of pointing towards uh, towards purgatory as well. So I'll I'll let you share that. But what was the line from C. S. Lewis? Because C. S. Lewis is a famous Christian apologist in the 20th century. um, Wrote so many classics of, of 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 kind of practical wisdom in, in the yeah. Christian life. And, and he was not Catholic, but had a, an interesting insight into purgatory. Yeah, what
1: well, was an Anglican, and actually this was in uh, correspondence with his brother, and his brother was shocked to hear Lewis say that he believed in purgatory. And so he writes, our soul demands purgatory, don't they? Would it not break the heart if God said to us, it is true, my son, then, then your breath smells and your rags drip with mud and slime, but we are charitable here. And no one will upbraid you with these things, nor draw you away from you. Enter into the joy. So in other words, we enter in in this mess. And the response is, is should we not reply with submission, sir? And if there is no objection, I'd rather be cleaned first. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the response from God is, is, it may hurt you know. And the response back is, even so, sir.
2: The. So, on a, a practical sense, like this, the, the showers you enter into the wedding feast is always, is always how, how I've heard that yeah. described. And you were, you were talking about John Piper's insights, or, or...
0: yeah, I'd watched a video of John Piper with another uh, prominent uh, Protestant uh, theologian and pastor who they were talking back and forth upon the difference between redemption and sanctification. And so, like redemption being that moment where I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. But even and John Piper was pointing out that no, like if I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that that also means that this is going to elicit a response from me, which is that I'm going to allow for the salvation, I'm going to allow for the purification, I'm going to allow for uh, this relationship with Christ to transform me. But a kind of a, a separation between in the language of redemption. So redemption, is something which happens, versus sanctification, which in which would be a little bit different in our, not, not totally, it's not antithetical, it's not totally not in keeping with our Catholic tradition, but we see redemption and sanctification as redemption then entails sanctification. And therefore, one of the ways in which if we don't accept sanctification, then there's also a rejection of redemption. Because mm-hmm. redemption leads to sanctification, and it's a process versus two separate events um, we see unconnected in, events. Uncon- almost. Yeah. We see them yeah. as one as redemption and sanctification are part of the same thing mm-hmm. is that, yes, we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. But if we are going to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, this also means that this elicits the response from us. I am willing mm-hmm. to be sanctified and that sanctification might be a slow process mm-hmm. or it might be a rapid. Like in the case of St. Paul, there's a rapid process. But even St. Paul and it says, there's the thorn in the flesh. Like there still is this this moment where Paul has given his whole heart, mind and soul to our Lord and to Jesus after that encounter on the road to Damascus. Also but then, it talks
1: about it running the race as well. Correct, yeah. running
0: the race and I've run the race. But mm-hmm. that's why we see in that is that Paul is allowing the grace of sanctification to happen to him, but it's a process. And that's where from the Catholic position, also like looking at purgatory, like what happens when we fail or when we have slowed down that process. And that's where like, from our Catholic perspective, we have the possibility of that process not being a rejection, but that it continues into the next life, which is what the state of purification is—Purgatory, being purified of everything that you did not, were not purified of in this life.
2: I think it's important to, to lay out exactly what we mean as Catholics yeah. by Purgatory. If you look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church, there's only three chap, three little sections, three little paragraphs on Purgatory. It's not, yeah. it's not, it's not very long. It's not a huge, developed. Um, so recognizing that if this were a money-making scheme for us, we've done a terrible job with it because we really don't make
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> make much money off of. I'm about you here at Saint Dominic, but yeah, we're not making a killing on the, it. Yeah. Um,
2: and it's actually something that's like very, very limited as far as if someone's making a donation for you know to have right. a mass said for somebody, it's 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 always very minimal. Um, but. So this is basically what the catechism says. All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. So this is people already who've died, already on their way to heaven, um, who've already been saved. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. The church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned again. That that was most of what the catechism right. wrote. So just recognizing this is not, and I think this is important for us, because then we'll talk a little bit about the scriptural, the, you know, the biblical basis of this. This is not that you die and where you're going to go, we don't know, and you got this in between right. place, maybe heaven, maybe hell. It's you're on your way to heaven, but in the in in the very beautiful image of C.S. Lewis,
1: yeah, that you're on me. your way to
2: heaven, you've been saved, but man, you stink. You've got you're covered in mud, your breath stinks, and you got dirt under your fingernails. And this is the shower that you can take to be purified, to be set free from all the attachments of sin, all the temporal effects of sin as you enter into glory.
1: Right, and I think that answers the question that a lot of people have, which is, you know, what does happen after we die? I mean, because the the question has to be, um, you know, am I perfect when I die? I mean, Scripture tells us in Revelation that to enter into heaven, we must not just be sinless, but perfectly holy. And so if I'm going to be perfectly holy when I enter into heaven and I die imperfect how do I get to be perfect? Mm. How do I get to that ultimate holiness that that God requires for me to be in his presence? And of course, as Catholics, we'd say, now you're into purgatory. Because if something happens after you die, then that's a process. That's something that happens, whether it's quick, whether it takes years, centuries, whatever it is, there is something that changes about you and your soul. And if it does, how does that happen? What happens and we can talk about all that kind of stuff, but at that point, logically speaking, you, you have to believe in, in a thing that we call
0: purgatory. and I think that also when you look at like the question of purgatory, this is not a this is not a new question, this is not a medieval question. this is a very old question, mm-hmm. and that's where some people have tried to basically say, well, okay, well, this is also a pagan question because like the pagan notion of like you go to uh, uh, Tartarus, or you go to the fields of Elysium, or you go to these middle grounds, or like uh, reincarnation, where you get into all, a lot of people have tried to basically say, well, the, the, the concept of purgatory is more of a pagan idea. That's actually, although the pagan religions, various different ones, have had a similar idea, but you will also find it in the old Jewish understanding. And that's where people have said, well, this was a creation of the medievals, focus upon paganism. Well, If you look to the old Jewish religion, like going back to the time of Christ and then before that, there's actually the Jews were talking about this as well because there's different rabbis who said, whereas that a person will be in Sheol for eternity, you might only end up in Gehenna for uh, up to one year. Hmm. And so like you have various different rabbis who are talking about the notion of a difference between eternal damnation versus those who will find themselves in a state of purification. You also have old, uh, in the Jewish, there's a word for the tradition or the writings, which we didn't make into the Bible, but were recognized as being um, respected. Um, These were called the Midrashic writings. There's an old Midrash story called the story of Adam and Eve or the life of Adam and Eve. And in this life of Adam and Eve, which precedes uh, Jesus himself, so that's what I'm saying. Like, this didn't yeah. come about in the medieval period in the Jewish concept. This was always, this was found in the Midrash of the, story, of the life of Adam and Eve. Adam finds himself in purgatory in that. So like, these were questions where you'll find, even in the Jewish thought, right. is this notion of purification, yet not damnation, not where you're con- condemned to shale or to eternal damnation, but like this notion of where you find it. So these were an open, now speculative these, these documents were speculative, and these stories were speculative, but still, these were not, these are not recent revelations, these are not yeah. recent ideas that people came up with. These are old ones that both, I mean, because I think that it's also recognized, these are questions that are human questions. Right. I, so yes, the pagans dealt with this, the Jews dealt with this, Christians have dealt with this, mm. because there still is this sense of dissatisfaction that when I die, like, I might be a, like, a pretty mediocre person, but like i don't want to i don't want to burn for eternity it's so, like this notion of like if god is a merciful god why would he on the other hand if god is just mm-hmm. like then also there has to be some type of some type of teaching or some type of retribution some type of punishment something yeah. that has to happen as there's a transformation because if i enter into heaven in the same state and we all enter into heaven in the same state as we are right now We're this is mess a, it up. this is a continuation of earth mhm and therefore Ooh, yeah, yeah. There has to be, that's why we call it a new heavens, a new earth, but that that newness has to happen through transformation.
2: Right. And, uh, yeah, I can't, whatever, whatever sin, say this is not a particular sin I struggle with, but, you know, say people from my public confession, say if I struggled with, you know, um, Forging checks. And I'm I'm really I'm a really good forger and I have this and I I know it's wrong, but I keep falling back into it. I'm always trying to forge checks and trying to, well, I'm, I'm, trying to pay, I'm trying to pay for my daughter who has cancer. Well, well whatever, whatever, whatever the reason but I've got this attachment to it, this affection even for the sin, which a lot of us do, even though we know it's wrong and when we right. we confess it and turn away from it and we I can't bring that affection for the sin with me into heaven. I can't, I can't be in heaven and be like, man, I wish I was down there forging checks, right. you know, or, or stealing cars right. or,
0: right. you know, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, St. I mean, Augustine, who I love in the Confessions of St. Augustine, where he says, Lord, give me purity. Just not yet. Not yes. yet. Exactly. Yeah.
2: So yeah. I, yeah. And one thing, too, I think that's important because this might be some people's struggle with purgatory as we begin to look at the biblical foundation and, um, is thinking that this purification is something I'm doing apart from Jesus. It'd be like, right. well, saying Jesus' death wasn't enough, so I gotta right. do this extra thing. But recognizing that when the church teaches about this and throughout the history of the church, the earliest days of the church, the biblical, um, the biblical accounts, and then also, you know, through the whole history of the church of, of praying for the dead and everything, it's united to Jesus. Jesus, who, who works out as Jesus is salvific right. and sanctifying, salvific and sanctifying, he saves and makes holy. Um, that it, it's through engagement with him. So it's not something separate. It's like, well yeah, Jesus saves you, but you got this other thing you got to do here. you got to pay the piper um, for your purgatory time, which is uh, separated from the cross.
1: right And, and well I mean and I think the idea of that, that we're doing something there, no, no, it's something being done to you and it's evoking a response, but yes, it's something that's being done to you, the purification that's happening. Comes from being in the presence of our Lord. And the closer we get to Him, the more purified we are. And and, I mean, you know, you talk about those addictions and stuff you have. I mean, just imagine, and and we've all dealt with it. We all have our own addictions. It's hard to let go of particular things. But just imagine someone who's, well, I mean, someone who's tried to quit smoking for for 50, 60 years, someone who's got a drug addiction, someone who's hooked on alcoholism. We, You know, they go into hospitals and rehabs and and these places where they, you know, quote, dry them out, and how painful it is for them, mm. how hard it is to do that, and then how they have to avoid those situations so they don't fall back in those things. So the idea that that we're gonna be there and it's not gonna be painful, it's not gonna hurt. I mean, just imagine how hard it is to quit something you really like or you really love here, how painful that is, how hard that is. I mean, it just really adds more into. Yeah, this, this may not be a fun process.
0: Also, like looking at it kind of philosophically, like what is purgatory? I think it's also like, when we're starting to talk about pain in the next life, which obviously a lot of people are like, well, there's not gonna be pain in the next life. Well, I think that to understand purgatory, the Catholic understanding of purgatory especially, and to put this in contrast with the perceptions people have about purgatory, um, purgatory is the state where you are, don't have a body, So, but you are being judged, and so you have to make a judgment. I don't think that there's any way that anyone who's looking at the scriptures can say that there's not going to be a judgment that happens. Every thought, word, and deed will be accounted for. That's what we find in Luke 8, 17, and elsewhere, you'll find every deed will come to the light, and that everything is going to be manifested. Lord have mercy on me. Yeah. 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 Uh, (laughs) And this is also, but this is also found in in the Old Testament as well. You'll find that in Ecclesiastes 12, you'll talk, every deed will be brought into judgment. Uh, Jesus Himself says, nothing which is hidden, Luke 12, nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, you will have to make an accounting for every thought, word, and deed, which is also goes to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, yeah. your whole mind, and your whole soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's, and also, like we must give our bodies, Like we sin on the level of the mind, we sin on the level of the, level of the mouth, we sin on the level of our actions and of our bodies, everything will be brought into the light. And so this notion of being brought into the light, but like the light is, is glaring. Like when you walk out of a cave, like using Plato's analogy of the cave, you walk into the light. Immediately upon walking into the light, like it's burning, mm-hmm. like it's uncomfortable, but it brings about purification as then you're able to see. Yeah. And so this, yeah. this beautiful transformation which happens in the light, but still there's a painful quality of that, but it's not a physical pain, right. which you don't have in purgatory. That's why a lot of theologians today well, let's talk about the, purgatory. is a state of being. Yeah. Okay, it's a state of consciousness where your consciousness is purified. Your heart is purified of disordered attachments. But it's not a, You're not being beaten by whips. Yeah, because you don't <laughs> have a body. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no yeah, body. Exactly. You don't have a body. Right. right. Ain't no, no. You ain't got no body. <laughs> but no, there's no body in purgatory because you've not yet been given the resurrected body. Right. And so you. It's not a physical pain. It's a mental emotional pain as sin is pulled out of us and we are therefore completely freed. I love actually C.S. Lewis' The Great Divorce where you have that notion of the little, in the story, if you've not read the book, it's a great book as he goes, but there's uh, that story of like the the little lizard who's whispering on the guy's ear. Yeah, and then like, but then you have like this angel this giant angel who's like, turns to me, he's like, let me crush it. And he's like, oh no, 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 this is my friend. Yeah. And he's like, let me crush it. And like the, the like the agony of having to let go of this yep. little demon, yep. which then finally, when the angel crushes the demon, it turns in to this marvelous horse that he rides into heaven, which right. is like, I mean, this beautiful image. Right. But it ha- but,
2: did have to, it, but it, it was painful for it to, yeah, to be. Well, yeah, well, and, and the demon, absolutely. and in,
0: in that one, the demon is screaming as it's being crushed. And mm-hmm. the, like, the man can't separate, the cries of the demon, the cries of the evil from his own consciousness, and that's where he is freed.
2: So, if someone brings you the question, "Where is purgatory in the Bible?" Like, if that's if that's their question, if that's maybe the the question that someone brings, what's what's your response there? And and how would you how would you answer that question directly? For me, and maybe I'm I'm weaker on this than you guys. I would be like. Well, it's complicated. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, no, I agree. I think that's absolutely the idea. I think, you know, that, that whole idea of the preponderance of the evidence. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, one of the reasons that, that I've always had a problem with with proof texting, like you're talking about, is is because it, there's very few things that, that are just comes out and says it in clear, like the way we do now, because we, we've had centuries of putting things together and being able to say them in a more concise way in a more understandable way. And so, yeah, you go, that's just why when you go back to the early church, which is what I did to try and disprove, you know, purgatory, I went back to scripture and I, and I said, you know, first five centuries, I bet it's not even there, and that was a bad mistake because it's all throughout it, especially if you understand the way we understand it now, and you go back and you look, then you see not just the seeds of it like you do with other things like maybe the papacy, but in purgatory. I mean, you see a well developed understanding of the afterlife and what happens to someone when they, when they die in an imperfect state and yet are saved, as, you, as we were mentioning earlier. I think
2: a great example of that, uh, Monica, which was uh, Saint Monica, which is yeah. Saint Augustine's mother, you know, encouraging him, make sure you have masses said for for me after I die, yeah. and, then, and that that's a, that's a yeah. common experience then, and then yeah. you know, obviously, throughout the medieval church and and today too, we still have masses said for people. So the, the practice of the church really from the earliest days yeah. has yeah. been when someone the, the graffiti on the catacombs. You know, yes. that, you know that points to that so getting, all throughout. Um, so getting into the biblical understanding, I think that's maybe something where yeah. where people you know, like, did Saint Paul think that you just die and you just go right to heaven, or did you know Saint you know Peter or 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 what, what was what was their engagement with this, and
0: how would they how would they think about it? Well, I think I think we're also recognizing and this is we can't divorce Christianity from our Jewish roots, right? And that's that's the danger of some is that they want to say, well, Jesus created this new religion, Christianity. And there was a divorce between the early Jewish roots and then what we have today. So like we're recognizing, like going back to our Jewish roots, because we are Judeo-Christians. Like you can't have Christianity without Judaism. Jesus was a Jew. And mm-hmm. also recognizing that like these were fights at the times of the Jews. Like I said, the Pharisees, the Sadducees were fighting over uh, es- eschatological, the end things, what happens, because the Sadducees said, no, there's no resurrection. The Pharisees said there is a resurrection. So these, these have been hot topic issues for a long time. But we also know this, Paul was a Pharisee. Paul talks about the resurrection. He talks about these various things. And that's where you'll ta- find in like 1 Corinthians 3.15, yeah. you'll find that okay, Paul too. himself says, a man might be saved, but all of his works will be burned up if they're not rooted in the Lord, if they're not rooted in Christ. I mean, that's kind of synthesizing yeah. what St. Paul says. But you'll find also the other apostles. You'll find that Luke chapter eight seventeen, which Jesus' own words, according to Luke, says that all things will be brought into the light. So as opposed to looking at purgatory, As a place, because place means space, like spatial reality. We don't have bodies. There's no bodies. We're not not (laughs) talking about purgatory as a place because there's no spatial modality. As well as you're starting to look in time, Mm -hmm. yeah, because like you're you're we're dealing with a different concept of time. So space space time doesn't exist the way that we understand it in purgatory. But it is, that's why we call it state of being. So if you can separate, like people, because like, like, where is it found in the Bible? Well, it's not found in the Bible in a space-time, but it is as a concept yes. mm-hmm. of judgment, of purification. Malachi 3 talks very cl- clearly about the purification of the sons of Levi by fire. And then likewise, 1 Peter, uh, Peter will talk about it, and you'll find Paul will talk about the purification which is necessary As a process in the process of salvation, and
1: it says on the day, on on the day of atonement, on the 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 day Day of atonement, which Mm, going back to the Jewish roots of what the
0: day of atonement was, which was the purification of the people of their idols of the golden calf. So, like you'll find all these things mixed up. So, most certainly as a concept, is this as if you look at it, is it found as a concept, a purification of evils withdrawn from man? Yes, absolutely. Mm. I mean, over and over and over again. And I mean, the big one that, from a Catholic perspective, but this is not gonna be convincing to a lot of Protestants, is gonna be found in the book of Maccabees, yeah. right. where there's prayers for the dead, right. which is an old Jewish custom, like a very old Jewish custom of praying for and, the dead. And, and now,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Protestants
0: who don't accept the book of Maccabees as being canon, and we're not here to talk about the canon and the problems with that, but still, you'll find very clearly both in the Jewish customs, as well as in the book of Maccabees, you'll find prayers for the dead. I and mean, why are we praying for the dead? If is that our prayers
2: benefit them? Yeah, because the prayers benefit and they, and, those who died
0: yeah. in a state where God's not going to reject them, but God is going to purify them of their attachments to the world, as mm-hmm. St. Paul talked about.
2: It's, it's, it's an interesting part too, and I think it's was second Maccabees, where yep. where some of, of, of if, if y'all don't know, first and second Maccabees, um, deuterocanonical, we consider it part of the canon of scripture. And uh, so so if, if you have a Protestant Bible that doesn't have those, go get a Catholic Bible. It's got seven books that you haven't read and they're awesome, uh-huh. including 1st and 2nd Maccabees. <laughs> And uh, this, what, this is a, a book of the Bible that was around during Jesus' time that has, has been part of the canon of Scripture for Christianity for the first 1,500 years of Christianity until, until the Protestant Reformation. Sometimes called apocryphal. Sometimes yes. called apocryphal. Yeah. But this scene where some of the, the Jewish warriors have fallen in battle and some of them were carrying pagan like amulets and yep. things. And so they were kind of like recognizing that they had an attachment to some sort of evil. And so um, uh, the Maccabees, or the, 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 the leaders of the Jewish people at that time, they, they, they give money to have sacrifices made to pray for them. And it says, and it's because it is a good and wholesome thought to pray for the dead. You know, okay. th- th- there's something about that. Not only that can our prayers impact them, um, but it's good that we do that and that, that it's something that we get to help. Now we get to somehow, somehow participate in what God is doing, which is right. saving, saving so, his people.
1: So much so you have the development of novenas for the dead. I mean, this idea of praying for the dead. Matter of fact, a, a very Eastern concept is, is that once someone dies, they, they usually do this nine-day novena. And, and I remember asking a, a, an Orthodox priest one time, so, so why do you guys do that? And they said, well, we think it's going to be weird to be separated from the body. And so this is a time of, of, you know, transition. This is a time of trying to, you know, to really, a, a, as you separate from your body and your spiritual, you're not going to understand it very well. And so there, there's an experiential aspect to it. And so, yeah, I mean, th- these prayers have always been there. And, of course, they're praying for
0: the, the ultimate salvation of that person's soul to be with God in heaven. Now the objection which I have heard on in terms of that is like yeah. why are my prayers effective? Mm. Like why yeah. like I'm Jesus is the savior. Right. Valid point. Jesus is the savior, my my prayers are not effective in helping another person um, or lessening their time uh, after they've died. After yeah. they die, yeah. like they're going to heaven, they're going to hell, my prayers are not effective whatsoever because that means like I'm somehow saving them. Um right. Now, I think that it also understand like, what, what do we mean when we say that we are praying for the dead and, and why is this effective? Because it's not that we are saving them, although we are participating within Christ's saving actions as his body, but the, re, I, the reason why when people ask me, they're like, why should I pray for the dead? Or why should I pray for my mother? She's dead, God's gonna judge her, my prayers are not. I was like, if we find ourselves in the next life in a state where, where we are stuck, Um, where we, for whatever reason, like we are resisting the will of God who's trying to draw us out. It's not just that our sins have affected God. Now, obviously, every sin that we commit affects our relationship with God. But the other reason for why prayers for the dead are actually effective and why they actually have value and merit is because our sins affect us and God, and therefore God is harmed or at least hurt by our transgressions. But it's also the body. Our sins affect each other. Hmm. So like this notion of like, why would my mother be in a state of purgatory? Well, maybe people could probably come up with my why their mother is in a state of purgatory <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, punishment mm, yeah. for the ways in which she screwed me up. Yeah, like right. that's, but also like, do I want my mother in hell? No. But like, is she in heaven yet? Like there's this, this, this notion of like justice demands that there is a change. Hmm. And mercy also demands, as, as Lewis was talking, a change. But why is my prayers for her? Well, actually, this is what I tell people, and I really believe this. The reason why our prayers as the church militant or the church purgative, um, which are those others who are still fighting the fight versus those who have finished the fight but now are in the state of purgation, is like if a person has offended me especially, my prayers for them, me telling them right now that I forgive them, mm. yeah. that's one of the reasons why people stay stuck in yeah. like, not being able to forgive themselves. Right. And that's, yeah. that's from our Catholic understanding of purgatory is the reason why a person could get stuck in purgatory if longer is because they refuse to forgive themselves. It's not that God, they are resisting God's mercy, which God tells them, I forgive right. you. But they're like, well, there's also these negative effects. But that's where, when we are praying for them, there's that notion of that it's not just God who's forgiving them, the church is forgiving them, yeah. their brothers and sisters, the people who they have harmed. And those wounds are being healed. And those healed. wounds, it's, yeah, it's just like, really, yeah. it's that whole moment of Beautiful. reconciliation which happens between each other as, as brothers and sisters, we are forgiving them in their next life mm. for the things that they did to us and which are still affecting us. Right. I, I even got the
2: image as you were saying that of, of uh, Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, you know, the, the son that enters into the father's house and the other son is left outside like, you know, mm-hmm. the older son angry in a sense too, that, that the Lord wants us all in the father's house. So thinking about that too, particularly if someone's lost a family member, when you pray for them, then you realize you're still close to them that you're not you know because sometimes people well, again they have fallen
0: asleep they're not they're not lost they're, they're not, not dead you're right. Right. so that that there's something about that and then i can
2: still i can still help them I can, i'm still connected to them in a positive way not through you know séances or channeling or any of that stuff right. don't do those things we don't believe in those um, reject it, repent.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> your mother's not going to talk to you from the next yeah, life. So, right. but, Something but, else might. But, <laughs> right, be, right. but right. being
2: able to, to help them on the journey as they're entering into glory, and then they in turn pray for us too, which is, is, is very biblical. Think about this for myself. My family, we, we recently lost my brother really tragically. My brother Sean um, died in an accident at work. And we've had so many signs and consolations that he's with the Lord, and I still pray for him. Yeah. I still pray for his eternal rest. I pray for his soul. I offer mass for him and recognizing, too, that that's not, if, if he's through all his purgation and he's with the Lord in heaven, that's right. not wasted prayer, it's you know, not. it's because it's, it's all there. But there's something like there's a special connection every time I pray with and for him. I ask him to pray for me. Um, yeah. That's not aside from Jesus. I realize Jesus is the only one who could save him, and, uh, you know, Jesus is the only one who could save me, too, right. and, and he does, praise God. But there, there's a special closeness that, in a sense, now death, to me, it's one more way we understand that death doesn't have the last word here. Yeah, that death death hasn't created this this unbridgeable unbr- uh, chasm because right. we're connected to those that we love because they're all in the body of Christ.
1: It just goes into the communion of the saints. I mean, that's one mm-hmm. of the things that you know you find in the Book of Saint James, where he talks about the prayer of a righteous man availeth you know avails a lot. I mean, it's worth a lot. Yeah. And so, the, the holier we are here, the more holy we can be here. You know, I mean, because it affects our relationship with God when we're sinful. But that's the reason why we also pray to the saints in heaven or ask for their prayers. I mean, we can talk about that another time. But the the whole idea that that we're connected, as you're saying, book of Hebrews where it talks about the great cloud of witnesses being together. I mean, part of that is the support of all of us together
0: for each person, for each soul. But also like rectify. I mean, this this might be a little controversial to some who are listening to it i want to talk about ghosts in a second here. Yeah, so St. Yeah, yeah, we'll no, so, so Paul <laughs> has this really uh, scary quote where he says, I believe it's in Corinthians, where he says, there will be no homosexuals, there will be no uh, fornicators, there will be no thieves, there will yeah. be no, uh, he gives us big liars. Long, liars. liars, there will be no yeah. deceivers, there will be no all these, all these different people. He said, these people will not inherit eternal life. They will not be in heaven. Okay. Now, either St. Paul is wrong and lying, and therefore the scriptures contain error, or St. Paul is right. That also, you think about that, that's terrifying because people have family members who are all those things. Yes. And The question is like, are these people going to hell? Now, the very simple, this very mm. simple way of answering that is, well, yeah, they're in hell because otherwise St. Paul lied and the scriptures are wrong. But the other way that you can actually look at that, and this is where the mercy of purgatory, is that no, these people are not necessarily condemned to hell, but they will not be this in heaven. So there's a process You won't that be a liar in heaven. You will not be a liar. You will not be a fornicator. You will not be a deceiver. Uh, you will not be homosexual in heaven, but God's also not gonna reject the person. God will extract the sin from the person, and he will show them and give them something better. Yeah. He'll mm-hmm. give them the fullness of himself He'll give them the fullness. So therefore, the sins will not exist, but the possibility of a person who struggled their entire life with a particular sin that will no longer be the case because there's this process where God saves the person and extracts evil from them. Therefore, St. Paul's words are not wrong, but it's also not condemning. It's the separation yeah. of the sin from the sinner which happens where God then purifies us by knowledge. Yeah, and that's where the knowledge yeah. is the purifying well, fire it, of God.
2: That's been used as a, either for or against that passage as like, well, every all these people are in hell, you know, the, all the people who do those sins, but that's yeah. obviously not what with God's mercy, it's saying all of us because you go through that list, and I know homosexuality obviously be very controversial. And there's, but you go through that list, and you're at least one of those things. Yeah, you know, you're at least probably a liar, or probably yeah. multiple. You know, there's liars, fornicator, murderers, yeah. adulterers. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, like all those things are on there. So in a sense, if Paul is saying that, it's because of this this process of of purification, purgation, right. Right. sanctification, whatever you want to call it, as the merits of, of being united to Jesus. That who has saved us, um, because because he's inviting us to even more. Again, not 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 as a, a a condemnation of you, right? But as a saving you from the sins that that we try to identify. Because any, anyone who tries to identify with their sins needs to be. I need to be safe from that.
1: Right. You know, but, but to get into that idea of purgation, because I know, I mean, we haven't talked about it yet, but I know it's going to come up, which is the idea of, of flames and burning and, yes. and all that kind of stuff in purgatory. Yes. And I think, you know, and we're all for No, we're not for it. No, I mean, we're talking about something that, that's not physical, but we, but the only way we can really speak of it spiritually is through physical things, because we we can feel that. We can experience it. It's the reason why the Catholic Church has sacraments, the reason why... we use the whole body to worship god Mm. and so but you know it really comes from the idea of god being all-consuming fire i mean you look in scripture and all throughout scripture god's this burning fire i mean the seraphim the burning ones and so the idea is... is the that tor- especially, the, tor- the
0: torch in Genesis going yeah. through the pieces of the sacrifice. Yeah. I mean,
1: just so yeah. many times. And the idea from 1 Corinthians with St. Paul in chapter 3 is, is that the closer you... I mean, he actually uses this conveyor belt, if you will, of a piece of gold sitting on there with, with all kind of wood, hay, and stubble in it. It's the word that's used. And at the end of it, you have a pure piece of gold. And so this, this spiritual idea that the closer we get to God, mm. the more those impurities fall away until you have just... a a pure person. And so the idea of of purgation, the idea of burning is, is the closer we get to God, the more the flame hurts, but at some point
0: feels good. Correct. Because also the notion of the fire and fire in the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, is associated with the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is associated with not pain and punishment, but with knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so what burns, and I'll tell you this, Certain knowledge, as we all know, hopefully by this time in our lives, like there is mental, mental, emotional, likewise the emotional, So, but it's knowledge which burns. But that's why there's various different saints who've talked about purification and purgatory as not being necessarily a state. If you love knowledge, true knowledge, which is rooted in the beautiful, the true, and the good, objective knowledge, as opposed to my subjective, relativistic knowledge, which Mm -hmm. I think these things are gonna work, but you're actually given real knowledge. You're able to perceive and see reality for what it is. Like, that's also why the purifying fires of purgatory are also brilliantly beautiful once you've accepted them. Right. And so, like, it's also the notion is, like, once you enter through the gate, like, therefore, it is, like, purgatory is understood as, like, the first, is, is actually the first stage by which you enter into heaven. Right. So it's not a middle ground between heaven and hell as purgatory. It is the first stage of entering into heaven. It is a, it is a feature of heaven itself.
1: Or, or, or to use it this way, it's, you're in the presence of the Lord. Yes. And if you're imperfect, mm-hmm. you have to be made holy.
2: And the presence of the Lord is what's making us holy, too. That's so, what's making so us holy. So even thinking about this, we, we're praying for them, and you know, it's not like well, God's like, I wish I could make them holy. There's not enough <laughs> prayers, but our right. prayers somehow do, are we're allowed to aid in that to 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 be a part of what God is doing in, in that person. So I, I have a situation for you guys because this gets into ghost stories, you know, which yeah. which, which which. um I have some thoughts on that, and I'll, I'll, I'll run this by. This is, this is not dogmatic when we talk about ghosts on this show. Right. Uh, there's no official church teaching on <laughs> ghosts. But I had this a woman that came to me for an unrelated meeting, this is years ago, and she had never been to a Catholic church, no concept of a Catholic priest. I think she just you know she saw me, just was like, "Whoa, these guys are real." Um, and, and she had to meet about something else. And so we're talking about whatever she needed. And then she, she stopped and she's like, "I've never told anyone this." And she says about this recurring dream that she has. And she's a Southern Baptist as they get, and she has this yeah. recurring dream of she's in like an attic, and it's a dark room, and there's this big box in the middle of the room, and there's people crying out for help in the box. Uh-huh. She doesn't know what to do. She's telling this to me. She's never told anyone. And then she's like, so I don't do it. So I just would pray the Lord's Prayer. And then all of a sudden, this light opens up above them. They go up this ladder into the light. And I was, And she's describing this to me. Again, <laughs> no Catholic context, and I'm right. like, You kind of just describe purgatory, right? Um, You know, so I didn't, I didn't quite know what to do with her. I actually had this. There's a a a book on purgatory that happened to be in my office. It's kind of a Catholic ghost stories book, almost. I gave it to her. I'm not sure if it was the right thing to do or not. (laughs) But just that that general sense that this woman was having this experience of these people that couldn't pray for themselves, right? And that somehow her prayers to God, obviously, you know, using the Lord's prayer, were somehow aiding. I thought, I thought it was a, a beautiful insight, too. But to me, it kind of speaks of, obviously, there's such a preponderance of, of ghost stories and things, and I'm not yeah. make, making a, a judgment on the veracity of any of those. But sometimes when I hear certain things of, of, a, of a loved one giving a message or dropping a book sure. off a shelf or, or strange, unexplainable things happen, that perhaps it's the souls in purgatory that that have those ways of, of, of reaching out, because they, they do need our prayers. They yeah. do, they do need, rely on us to be praying with and for them.
1: And, and the thought behind that is is lots of times it's people who are, as we were saying, stuck and forgotten. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I recently heard a story of um, a convent where the, the, the sisters that were there kept having the altar candles blow out on the altar, like during the middle of Mass, and so the, the brother would come over and pray. I mean, a, a priest would come and, and celebrate Mass for them, as he would, when they would, especially when they got to the Our Father, it would blow out, which is, of course, the family prayer, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they kept trying to figure out what is going on. It's not drafty in here, nothing like that. And so someone came in, uh, uh, another brother came in and said, Well, well maybe it's, maybe it's a, a, you know, someone trying to tell us something. And so what they did was, was they found the the name of a sister that had died several years back. For some reason, it came to one of them. I can't remember the story completely, but for some reason, stu- that name came to them. And so they said Mass for her 30 days in a row. And on that last time they said it, the candle didn't blow out. And so they took it as, and, and again, it's anecdotal, but they took it as this was a, a way for her to ask for those prayers, to ask for you know the Lord, you know, for for the Eucharist to be offered for her. And and as they did, apparently, she made it to where she was going.
2: Yeah, and again, this I think this is important to distinguish. This isn't about contacting the dead, no, or like asking the dead, are you in heaven or are you in no. hell or messages, any any of that. No seances. Is, we're, 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 no, no seances. This is. I pray for those that have gone before and there, right. there's power within that. Again, right. you know, and I think, I think it is important because some people hear that and they can be, begin to think like, oh,
0: which, you know. No, me... no, no, the dead don't talk. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell no tales. No, yeah. that's, I mean, you, you probably remember we had our, uh, our previous exorcist who gave us that conference a few years back upon the exorcist that, at least from his perspective, he'd go into various different sites where there was disturbances as he was the official um, representative of the bishop, because the bishop is actually the chief exorcist, yeah. uh, but he was made the exorcist, he would go into sites and he would have to distinguish between a disturbance at a particular site, whether or not it was some person who has a psychological condition, but if there was actually, it was not, if he determined through the process that it was not just a person with a psychological condition, but that there was something happening, that he would determine whether or not he was dealing with an evil spirit which um, there was manifestations of evil spirits that always have a praetor natural, versus other disturbances. And it's like he would determine between whether or not he was dealing with a, restless, with a soul of the restless dead who was in a state of being stuck, which is why that then he would go in and have a, have a mass. He would yeah. say the mass, yep. and usually when the mass was said, with, for the intention of whoever was determined that was causing the disturbance, right. it would cease. Hmm. And so, like that's that's so for him, he would have to determine. And that's what he told us is determining whether or not he's dealing with a soul in purgation, because the, you you handle that in a very different way than the way in which you handle a place which has an infestation or an evil spirit.
2: Right. So, well, to me, what you know, maybe to just kind of sum up, and then we can kind of maybe talk about some some practical applications for people of, of if maybe if you've never thought about praying for the dead, what what, what could you do today, and and, and what difference does this make in our life that. Purgatory is this is the process by which those who are saved are uh, receive that that final purification as they enter into God's glory. So, it's not it's not a physical state outside out of space have, and time. Outside of space and time, that our prayers do benefit them, and there's scriptural uh, attestment to that, um, because God actually wants us to be holy. You know that, that that's the invitation is, is is that God doesn't want to just cover us up with a sheet. Right. He wants to actually transform us from the inside out. Um, and that, all, that really is it's an exercise of his mercy, and that our, pr- our prayers affect them. So, so thinking about that, what, what can someone maybe who's Catholic or who's, who, maybe who, who used to be Catholic, um, as far as they have a loved one who's died, maybe what's, what's a good practice that
0: they could engage in to, uh, to help them uh, with, engage with this teaching on purgatory? I'd say the, the biggest thing that we have, especially as Catholics, but we also invite anyone who's not Catholic to come to the Catholic Mass, is to come to Mass and to pray for them in the context of the Mass. And if, you can, if you, they want, they can have a Mass said for that particular intention. Um, that The priest will say, the, say that at Mass, and the whole point of the Mass is obviously to worship our Lord, but with the intention of also praying for our brothers and sisters. And so, praying at the Mass. But this is also a beautiful thing which I've given to people who have loved ones who have died. And I remind them, as St. Paul told his community in Colossians, he's like, the dead are asleep, but they are with God. And so like recognizing that people who have died like, we are still connected to them, and especially because we believe that because Jesus is outside of space and time, and Jesus shows up at the Mass in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, but also anyone who is with him mm. also shows up too, so especially as this beautiful moment of recognizing, like, at the Mass, I can't promise you that your loved one is, is with you when you're walking around in your, in your daily life, and cause, but I can promise you this. If you come to Mass... All those who are with Christ also show up. That's why I tell people in my congregation, I was like, you might think that these pews are empty. That's kind of, it's a little bit freaky when you first think about it. I was like, but they are filled. Yeah. Mm. They're filled with the communion of the saints, as likewise, we also pray for people who are making that transition. And so like, we are connected because we are the body of Christ. And those who are with God are not lost. Even those who have fallen asleep in Christ, we have the hope of the resurrection as well as that our love connects us together. And so, our love, we believe that the love of the saints, they are praying for us. And likewise, our love for those who are making that transition, that purification of becoming holy, like our love also helps them because love is Trinitarian. Love connects us together. And so, like, recognizing, like, when we come together in the liturgy, when we pray together, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. And that's true for the living and the supposed dead. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Yeah. And, you know, that, that, just speaking on that just for a second. I, that brought great consolation to to my own to my own heart to my own spirit because my parents were not Catholic and so they couldn't come to the to the altar and receive the body and blood of Jesus you know in 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 the Catholic Church and so I'll never forget the first Mass after my mom and after my dad passed you know I said thankfully we're here together now you know mm. we're here together and so of course that's coming from a Catholic perspective but you know that we're here together now and that it's just so beautiful to think that. Yeah, I think something else that can be done is, is something that I mentioned earlier. This this uh, this novena, which novena is just you know uh, prayers that we say for, for particular purposes, and um, that that are, are said in in nine days because it, it kind of helps. Remember, I mean, there, there's other theological reasons for it as well, but it, it helps bring focus to your prayers. It helps bring focus for for several days, and these things can be said any time. It doesn't happen happen right after they pass, but any time, especially when you think about them, because lots of times what happens is is you think about someone, especially someone from the past maybe even someone you've offended or you're mad at, that that comes to your mind. And I don't believe those straight thoughts just come to your mind as straight thoughts. I Mm. believe they come for a reason. And so, you know, I would say when someone comes to your mind who's passed, specifically if it's a relative or your mom or your dad, to spend time just asking our Lord to be with them, to be present with them, you know, and, and to to really ask for its grace to be a part of that. And like the, the only thing that could happen is, is if they're already with the Lord and that sanctifying grace is already there and they're already holy, you're not wasting a prayer.
2: Absolutely. I, I think about this, um, you know, this is why a burial is important. Uh, yep. Christian burial, you know, having masses said for the dead, you know, and sometimes we've, we we as a society, particularly in America, a lot of times we don't, we're not comfortable with death. We don't mourn very well. I know other cultures that spend you know, a hundred days mourning the, the the death of a, of a close loved one, and we're kind of like they, die, they die on either, a Tuesday, man. you bury them on a on a Wednesday, and and got to get back to work the next week. You know, yeah. I hope everything went okay, and we don't even know how to talk about it. So to be able to mourn that process, part of that is is praying for them. I would say too, for myself, just a a, a practice that I do anytime I pass by a cemetery, I would say a prayer for the eternal rest of the poor souls in mm-hmm. purgatory, and I, I pray for them. Pray for anyone who doesn't have someone to pray for them as well. Um, not as a superstitious, I might get burst if I don't do it. It's not that at all, but because Jesus is Lord there, as well he's Lord of the living and the dead, um, you know that that you know that there there's something powerful about that prayer too, and it's, and I think too sanctifying space as well. Uh, one of the reasons why cemeteries are important for us as Catholics, we bless the grounds because we believe you know the body is sacred, a body you know the right. body um, you know belongs to the Lord. So having care and reverence for those that have died, um, all, all those things are important. I would say too on on the other side of that, while we Having a healthy spirituality, praying for the dead. All, all Souls Day, um, which is 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 a, is a great day for that, which is November second, where we pray for the dead in a particular way throughout the whole month of November. Um, but two, avoiding any of the, the the false aspects of this, you know, the the occult or the Ouija boards or any yeah. of those sorts of things, because that that those are tools of the enemy. The enemy uses those yeah. to ensnare people and uh, give people false hope that they're contacting their loved one when really it's 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 diabolical. And I. We've probably all been called to enough houses where people have been playing with this stuff and they've been infested by the enemy. So j- just a word of encouragement for people to, yeah. to not get involved there. But to, in, in a healthy sense in Christ that we pray for those that have died and we know that that he's bringing about this purification for uh, yeah, for, for a and, noble purpose. If you're purpose. not
1: a Catholic, I mean, I think one way to, to really remember the dead is the way we, we normally do it. I mean, you know, you go out I mean, like for us every year for, for the graves that we that we have, my mother, my father, the child that I've lost. We we go out there and we leave flowers there. I mean, so mm-hmm. okay. So if I don't believe that prayers help them, if I'm one of you know, if I'm someone who's not Catholic, I don't believe that. I mean, remembering them, being able mm-hmm. to go out and think about them, have the the flowers that are there for them, and then start memorials in some way. I mean, you know, people, that's the reason why we have memorials on, on you know uh, rooms and uh windows and all those sorts of things is because it's just a way to to realize that they're they're gone from this life but not from the next i mean one of the things i almost always say in my homilies is is this this isn't goodbye it's just see you later and so that that really is a way of saying you know this this is we'll see this person again
0: also to kind of go back one of our original points which we haven't covered at this point uh so much but going hopefully with what's been apparent in this episode so far is the fact that there's a, there's a lot more to this conversation than sometimes the straw man arguments, which are leveled against uh, the practices and the customs. Because we're starting to get into customs, we're starting to get into culture, we're starting to get into to deep. Like, there's a lot of thoughts around this because obviously, many of the people who have objections to the practices, the Catholic, the Catholic practices of praying for the dead, um, go back to, well, you're selling indulgences or you're selling all these things. And there was individual cases where there was obviously abuses, but the church has never said that you can buy your way out of purgatory. Yes. (laughs) As well as even like the customs, like when people, and this is where like the straw man, there's a lot of these straw man arguments which are leveled against our, our practices and our beliefs. And I say straw man because it's like, well, you believe that you can buy your way out because like if I want to have a mass said for my mother, Like, then I'm asked to pay $10 for the Mass. And so, then people are like, well, what does that mean? You're buying your way out? I'm like, well, we'll still pray for them. It's like there's that suggested donation, but that's where, like, people have these very strong opinions as well as that they use these different uh, examples out of context because there's a lot more to this this conversation than just, because we'll still say the Mass. We still pray for the dead. Every single, Mm -hmm. actually, uh, almost every time throughout the week, there's a Mass which is dedicated to praying for parishioners and praying for loved ones. And so like, you don't have to buy your way out, but that's where people have used some of these things to try to distort the actual teachings of what we actually teach. Absolutely. So purgatory, important, hopeful. It's about the mercy
2: of God. Pray for those who have died. If any of us die anytime soon, pray for us, please. But um, guys, thanks so much uh, for this conversation. Hopefully this is helpful for you all. Thank you guys for tuning in. For all those who support us on Patreon, and until next time, We'll see you here at Catholic in America.